Louder! What's up, everybody, and welcome to Lights, Camera, Exploitation, your guide to exploitive cinema. This is the pod boss, TJ Bowser, and joining me as always is my doppelganger, Kangabanga, from down under, Mr. Brody Kane. Eddie motherfuckers. And the second man on the grassy knoll, Mr. Slick Nick. Yo, 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 what up, party people? <laughs> <laughs> we have a doozy of an episode for you today, but first, it's time for your slice of life, Brody how goes it? Well, like I say, every mother licking week, Mr. Bowser, it all goes well. What happened to me this week? Actually, I've had a pretty fucking interesting week. I had a tooth pulled from my fucking head. I had a hole in it, went in there to get a fucking filling, and then they just were like, no, we're going to rip this motherfucker out. So I said, do what you got to do. So yeah, trying to recover from that. Yeah, it's... um. Interesting. Oh, I had the Christmas party last night, so if I sound a little bit droopy and drowsy, it's because of the brewskis <laughs> that it, uh, knocked me left, right, and fucking center last night, that's for sure. Um, oh, come home yesterday to a nice little package from Imprint Films. Ooh. They finally sent me the Blu-rays of Body Parts and Stir of Echoes. So, Kevin still Bacon. yet the Baconator, yes, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> so, fucking uh, keen to put them on and suss them out. didn't. Obviously, didn't really get a chance to because I've been flat out this week. Um, watched this awesome fucking film for like the 10th time. Uh, absolute doozy. Scanner Cop. What a fucking film this is. Yes. Oh, yeah. And I can't wait to oh. actually fucking talk about it, to be oh. honest. But um, actually, yeah, that's about it for me. Uh, Slick Nick, what about you, mate? Not a ton. Um, mostly reading. Uh, I have been reading through uh, a few weeks ago. I got the book uh from the last podcast on the left guys uh really digging into that one took a break from dune for it traitor uh, uh. <laughs> <laughs> i have been listening to them for like almost 10 years uh <laughs> uh so yeah uh, really just a, a lot of reading a lot of hanging out watching the new always sunny episodes as they're coming out those are fun as always um really that's that's about it watching this movie enjoying this looking forward to uh getting into it and skinner cop 2 as well whenever we get to that eventually in the next season uh but yeah what about uh what about you tj well making a lot of changes here at project ladder doing a lot of things and just kind of moving on getting ready for 22 and just you know focusing on what's important and that is project louder and everything that we do there and that's creating content waiting on my vinegar syndrome and severin orders waiting on some other things i got lucio fulci's conquest from code red in and i also got career opportunities from kino lorbear and those are absolutely fantastic releases highly recommend both of those to anyone who might have been second-guessing picking those up. Truly exquisite. But anyway, let's talk about this week's film, and that is 1994's Skinner Cop. Los Angeles. How's it going, Kim? Without warning. <coughs> Without mercy. <coughs> they're killing cops. My men are dying out there. 
and only one man has the power to stop it. And now, law enforcement has a new weapon. He's a cop, and he has incredible psychic power. How did you do that? Our suggestion. On the case against a criminal mind. These men were imprinted with the command to kill. Only one cop, Scanner, can blow it wide open. From director Pierre David, who also produced Scanners in 1981, Pin in 1988, Martial Law in 1990, and The Dentist in 1996. Writers John Bryant and George Sanders. Story by Pierre David. Characters by David Cronenberg. Cinematographer Jacques Haidkin, who also did A Galaxy of Terror in 1981, A Nightmare on Elm Street in 1984, Shocker in 1989, and Wishmaster in 1997. Robert Kurtzman directed that, right? Yes. Music by Luis Febre, who also did L.A. Wars in 1994, Serial Killer in 1995, also directed by Pierre David, Little Bigfoot in 1997, and the hit classic Scooby-Doo in the Alien Invaders in 2000. Costume design by Yana Serkin, who also did Martial Law 2, Undercover in 91, Stargate in 1994, Blade in 1998, and Malignant in 2021. It's time to cut out the cancer, Brody. <laughs> snip fucking snip. Producers, Pierre David. Renee Mallow, Robert Lansing Parker, and Noel A. Zantish. Special effects by John Carl Buchler, who also worked on Reanimator in 1985, Friday the 13th Part 7, The New Blood in 1988, Ghoulies Go to College in 1990, and Hatchet in 2006. Do we have a budget, boys? <laughs> uh, no, IMDb Pro didn't even have one, but Scanner Cop 2's budget is about $4 million, so it's probably somewhere around that. Yeah. Starring Daniel Quinn as Samuel Stasiak, who was also in Wild at Heart in 1990, The Avenging Angel in 1995, and Spiders 2 Breeding Ground in 2001. Darlene Flagel as Dr. Joan Alden, who was also in Once Upon a Time in America in 1984, To Live and Die in L.A. in 1985, and Pet Cemetery 2 in 1992. Can you tell when I put stuff in there just for you, Brody? <laughs> Absolutely. I'm already on it. Cemetery 2 is a banger. Richard Grove as Commander Pete Harrigan, who also did Point Break in 1991, Army of Darkness in 1992, and Money Train in 1995. Mark Ralston as Lieutenant Harry Brown, who was in Aliens in 1986, Rush Hour in 1998, and The Departed in 2006. The terrifying Richard Lynch as Carl Glock, who was in Invasion USA in 1985, Bad Dreams in 1988, a future LCE pick, and Halloween 2007. I can definitely tell you you fucking threw that one in there. <laughs> Bad dreams, man. Hilary Shepard as Xena, who was in Star Trek Deep Space Nine from 1996 to 1998, Turbo, a Power Rangers movie in 1997 as Diva Talks, and The Wrong Friend in 2018. James Horan as Melvin who starred in Club Wildside in 1998, Roughnecks, The Starship Troopers Chronicles from 1999 to 2000, and Journeyman in 2005. Slick Nick, take it away. Sam Stasiak, a rookie cop with the Los Angeles Police Department, is also a scanner. When a string of murders begins to decimate the police department, Sam faces sensory overload and possible insanity as he uses his powers to hunt the man responsible for the killings. Fucking A. Awards! Nothing! 
and that's a crime. It's a fucking crime. <laughs> it's a fucking crime. This movie also has like five stars on IMDb, and whoever rates that, you're a fucking asshole. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I, I will go fix it after, <laughs> after we are done with this. <laughs> Boys, let's get physical. this week's release in which we all own due to peer pressure is vinegar <laughs> syndromes released from may 28th 2021 not rated and it is newly scanned and restored in 4k from its original 35 millimeter negative presented with hdr features an outside the law the scanner cop revolution part one extended making of documentary featuring interviews with producer director pierre david actress Hilary Shepard, actor Mark Ralston, actor Richard Grove, special effects artist Ted Haynes, special effects artist James Rowland, stunt corner Jeff Pruitt, director of Scanner Cop 2, Steve Barnett, and screenwriter of Your Next, Simon Barrett. Original promotional video, commentary track by We Hate Movies Podcast, a reversible cover art, newly translated subtitles, and that is region free and is a 4K Ultra HD and Blu-ray combo. That is available on the Vinegar Syndrome website as soon as Partners Only Month is over. And it comes with two. <laughs> yes. Yeah, this release really makes my dick hard. It's uh, fantastic, and I'm glad I fucking bought it. Yeah, talk about Same. the release a little bit, boys. Uh, what, what do you think about it? What, what do you think about that packaging, for one? It's definitely one of the more premium uh, Vinegar Syndrome packaging. It uh, might be the I mean, you most could, premium packaging I have of any movie, really. Yeah, I mean, you could drop it off a two-story building, and it won't break. That cover around <laughs> it's so fucking hard. Don't try it, but just take my word for it. <laughs> I think the only it, thing no, that's it, better than this packaging is their Vinegar Syndrome Ultimate packaging, which should, because it has the name Ultimate on it, uh, which has the magnetic clip, but... Yeah. The yep. fact that this has a slip cover for the slip covers is legendary. <laughs> Yeah, oh, fuck yeah. <laughs> like each slipcover is good on its own, and then just the one that it's all encased in on each side, it has like extra art for each movie on each half of it, and it, it just all looks so fucking good. Now the slipcover on each Blu-ray that's raised, isn't it? It's all raised lettering, and yeah, is is, is that beveled? Is that the word? It's textured. It's textured. I can feel yeah. it. It's raised lettering and everything. Yeah, it is. Yep. Yeah, you could literally beat someone to death with this hard case that surrounds both <laughs> Blu-rays. It is fucking. <laughs> mint it is hefty so, i love the side load as well that's that's something that you don't see as much yeah holy yeah. shit that's thick with three c's <laughs> <laughs> uh, hey if there's an opportunity to talk about a solid physical release we're gonna do it oh yeah absolutely fucking a well like we said you can buy that over at vinegar syndrome.com as soon as partners only month is over but if you can't wait till then, definitely go pick up. Definitely go pick up some of their wonderful partner label films. They are truly exquisite. Boys, let's talk additional info. Sure thing. So, actor Richard Grove speaks about his thoughts on David Cronenberg. I was a massive fan of his work. I had seen every single one of his films up to that point, and what David Cronenberg had was he had a sort of poet's eye for the image. They're low budget, but he manages to bridge an intelligent script with a sort of exploitation feel, and that's what we love about it. That's a fucking Absolutely. So actor Hilary Shepard talking about auditioning for the film and working with Pierre David stating, I remember auditioning and it was with Pierre David and I think I might have read the for the casting director first and then I went straight to him. I, I remember his office. I just remember he was so great to work with. Very easy. Had great suggestions. Really good director. We were on the same page about so many things. She continues in depth on Pierre's directorial style. There's not 
that many producers who also direct like that because it's two totally different jobs because you have to be a hard ass, you know, but you also have to be able to work with people and get things out of them. And and I thought that he was really good at that. Fucking A. I wish Pierre did more. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So we also have uh, actor Mark Ralston uh, speaking about his time on the production and his feelings towards it. Uh, he said, I think they did really well for the scale of what they were trying to achieve. Uh, the police consultant was Detective Carl Armlin. And, and Carl, you know, he was a very impressive person. And it was great to have someone like that with a bit of gravitas on the set to keep us in that sort of LAPD mode. He then goes on to share his thoughts on working with Pierre David in particular. He said, we did a couple of movies together, actually a sub Subsequently to Scanner Cop, but I remember when working on Scanner Cop, you know, he was the lead guy. So the whole time he was very intense and very focused. Do you think that that led to the police procedural feel of some scenes in this film? I, I think so. I think they approached it like a police procedural and then they they put the sort of, like I described it, it's like almost like a superhero kind of aspect to it, adding in the scanners mm-hmm. and then wrapped it all up in a big thriller packaging basically i don't know it's, it's how like the feeling that i got from watch i loved it though i absolutely loved the feeling i i, I just want to say something i don't know if you actually put it in here because you've just mo- we're moving on from mark rolson to daniel quinn but mark actually says on the blu-ray that he's actually never seen scanner cop i put it in it's in <laughs> notes. it's in, it's in the last it. it's my very last note <laughs> oh, damn it i wasn't sure because you've gone yeah nah it's all sweet but i just want to anyway um so moving on to working with actor Daniel Quinn, his co-stars Shepard, Rolson and Graves speak very highly of his devotion to the art and his particular style of acting with Shepard stating, I loved working with Daniel Quinn. I had done a play with him off Broadway with Daryl Hannah and he takes his craft very seriously. Rolston specifically mentioning his intensity as an actor and Grove going on to say, I liked working with Daniel. He was obviously talented, but he was also a very interesting actor to work with because he was one of those actors that liked to sort of stay in character. He liked to be by himself quite a bit to keep the, you know, keep the juices bubbling, keep the mood on for that for the scene so when it when he came to do his shots he was ready to go right off the bat so as well as quinn oh one thing uh so apparently quinn also is in a movie called american cop (laughs) (laughs) of course of course he is makes sense (laughs) um so as well as quinn uh the actors go on to speak about working with richard lynch uh, with Shepard stating that she had previously been a fan of his, uh, saying, oh, my God, well, I was I was a huge Richard Lynch fan and I was really scared of him because he looks so intimidating. And I, I wasn't sure like what his story was, but I had seen him in so many movies and he, uh, he ended up being just such a sweet guy. And he, he was great. Richard Lynch is the cousin of David Lynch. I thought I thought there was some relation that I was I, like, I'm pretty I sure I totally made that up. Really? Well, <laughs> I, he kind of looks like him. <laughs> he does kind of look like him a little. Righty, I better keep the ball rolling. So Grove then speaks more specifically about Lynch's character acting and his casting as the villain. He says, I got a chance to talk to Richard Lynch, the main villain, and I think villains often times in scripts have more freedom to do things than the heroes because the heroes are sort of tightly structured and these particular ways that they can act, whereas villains are freer to be able to do all sorts of interesting things. So during a long day while we're in, what the fuck is that? Kahunga. It's pronounced Kahunga. 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 Mm. 
While we were in Kahunga Pass at a beautiful house stuck back up in the woods, a sort of spooky place, and I got to talking to Richard about his time in New York growing up as a sort of a New York actor, his experiences of learning about acting, some of the roles he did, some of the stories of being on sets and doing things, and he had a great sense of humor. That was probably the most enjoyable part of working on Scannercop was meeting and talking with Richard Lynch, and in general, the whole experience of... And the whole experience for me was less about acting in it than it just being a part of making the film. So Shepard uh, then goes into her development of the character of Xena uh, and some fun that she had on set. Uh, she said, I love being evil. Uh, it's my comfort zone. We had a great wardrobe budget and they really let me develop what I wanted to look like, which I really appreciated. So I based my look on, there was this band called Shakespeare's Sister, which probably nobody remembers. It was one of the girls from uh, Bananarama, which is a band that I cannot stand. But for some reason, I really like this band's look. And she had these black curls that just looked like snakes coiling. So when we were shooting in downtown LA, uh, we had this little psychic shop with a little window outside and we kept having people come in to try to get psychic readings from me and i'm like i could do i could do it let me do it on my break you know i'll charge 50 bucks you know it was a great way to make extra money and they didn't let me do it but i wanted to do it. <laughs> she's great in the whole interview <laughs> she continues about the scene in the psychic shop specifically mentioning the physical strain of the acting overall in the scanning scenes with so the scene went, Sam comes and I read his card and he ends up scanning me and I end up with a nosebleed. I could have had a real one because literally for hours you're pushing down and I hadn't even given birth by then, but it's kind of like giving birth because they want your veins to pop. And when you push down very hard inside your body, and I just remember having to do that for a very long time and getting a huge headache and I possibly shit my pants. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember that part. That's not in the notes. <laughs> oh, come on. She sharted. Let's not lie there. Could you imagine how many times people farted as soon as he said action? Oh, man. I, uh, Sam had to be doing it. Daniel was just like, Dan man. Daniel Quinn just goes Woo! out for a night of like enchiladas before a shoot. And comes oh. back and he's like, action. No. <laughs> just shits himself. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> I've got that in my notes. That motherfucker can pull off like, I don't know how he didn't fucking hemorrhage or something. The face he can pull is absolutely ridiculous. It's like he's staring into your soul and shedding at the same God, time. His eyes pop out, man. Like, it's fucking <laughs> insane. Uh, so, lastly, um, each, or no, finally, <laughs> Rolston speaks about his biggest memory of working on the project, uh, being not a part of his acting, uh, as he states that he thought he had it easy. Uh, playing a cop, you normally just sort of float in, flash a badge, pull a gun, uh, but instead was actually the set used for the mental hospital inside Xena's mind during the Sam, uh, during the scene where Sam chases her, which at the time was completely abandoned, uh, though I think he states it would later go on to become a boarding house, which had to be the scale scariest fucking boarding house to ever live in. <laughs> so Shepard elaborates on this set saying, I remember that we shot the scene where he follows me into hell in an abandoned hospital and we shot at night and it was so haunted that that place, I mean, I, I was scared. I remember I went up like three in the morning to another floor because I wanted to try and get a nap. I heard noises. I, I was with another wardrobe girl and we fucking totally freaked out. A cart came rolling down at us. There was nobody else on that floor, and I was scared shitless. Again, scariest boarding house to ever live in. <laughs> so, yeah. so lastly, 
uh, each actor comments on their final thoughts on the film, uh, particularly in regards to its release being direct to video, uh, with Shepard saying back in those days, they had a screening for the cast and the crew. And I'm sure that's the only time that I saw it on the big screen. Uh, and then it went straight to video, which back in the day was not the prime thing, but you knew you were making a movie for straight to video and there was a huge audience for it. Consequently, when asked if he had ever seen the movie, Rolston simply replied that he had not. Finally, Groves closes out his, uh, his thoughts with, <laughs> The thing that I really, really liked about being in Hollywood was meeting the people that I was working with and hearing stories about their work and other films that they were on, watching the technicians doing their work and asking them, specifically the ones who were patient with me, because I did ask a lot of questions and I was just insatiably curious about everything. So director Pierre David gives a brief summary summary of who he is. Well, my name is Pierre David, obviously. I produced the original Scanners when I was living in Canada, which is David Cronenberg's movie. In fact, I made three of his movies, The Brood, Scanners, and Videodrome. It was a monumental, monumental hit. Many years later, with my partner then, Renee Malou, who had acquired the rights to Scanners, we ended up making Scanners 2 and 3. So Pierre also discusses prior events of making the film. When I arrived at the Cam Film Festival uh, saying that I was doing Scanner Cop, I had millions in sales by the end of that festival. The movie was fully financed. However, before I made the movie, I asked a couple of friends of mine, uh, one who is Steven Lisberger, uh, the director of Tron. I said, what do you recommend? What's the most important advice that you could give me? And he said, direct your actors. So with the script, I always tend to develop the script quite a lot. It takes at least a year. I usually go through eight to 15 versions of the script until I'm perfectly happy with everything in it. And I was ready to finally take on the challenge of directing. So Pierre talks about the cinematography. Too many people in their first film want visual, to which then they forget that they are telling a story. You focus on your story, and if it's a complex story, let your VP and others devise a shot. And in fact, that frustrated my DP, Jacques. Yeah, I don't know why I put VP. That should be DP. Jacques Hatkin. Is it Jacques or Jacques? Jacques Hatkin. Jacques Hatkin. Because he kept asking me, where do you want the camera? And many times I said, put it to where you think it's the best to get what I want. He said, yeah, but you're supposed to tell me where you want the camera. I said, you've been doing this so many times, you know where the camera should be to get what I want in the scene. I love that bit. (laughs) (laughs) So just going to blame the DP. You know where I fucking want it. (laughs) You're the director of photography. You should know where to put the fucking camera, dude. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, Pierre goes on to talk about Daniel Quinn. Uh, He says, if you remember the original scanners, Stephen Lack was the lead. He was the vision David Cronenberg had of a loser, a bit of an oddball, not fitting into society and everything. So Daniel Quinn, was a bit of an oddball also. He may not have been the perfect looking police officer, like as you would imagine a police officer, but he was the psychological prototype for the role. So it was perfect. He was exactly what I wanted. Yeah. Then talk. Pierre goes on to talk about John Carl Buechler. Don't forget, in the first scanners with Cronenberg, nobody knew how to explode the head. And then scanners two and three, we tried different things, you know. So we have a lot of experience of blowing up a head in a nice way. Very good relationship with John Carl Buechler. He had done a lot of things. I checked him out. He knew how to manage a budget. He knew what I wanted. He was a big fan of scanners and I basically thought he was perfect to do it. He came prepared. He was there with his team. They were definitely a great team. 
all enthusiastic and I was very happy with the results. Pierre then goes on to talk about editing. He says, one of the things I enjoyed very much was the editing process. I love editing and I think I'm good at it. I have so many choices of how to construct this movie, how to give it pace and everything. It came to life in that process. A lot of people were saying, well, let's see how Pierre does now that he's directing, you know? I I think it was considered competently directed. Uh, So anyway, it it was a great experience. I've done it and I've satisfied my curiosity of directing. Let's move on. I like him. I love him. (laughs) From the interview. (laughs) I love him. So we have Pierre talking about the film's release. There was no theatrical release and it was never meant to be. You know, video was enormous at the time. Uh, It was huge. Uh, We went through Republic Pictures and they did a massive release, which did extremely well. We'd already known we were doing ScannerCop 2 as we were shooting ScannerCop. It was already sold to Republic, foreign and everything. Fucking A. Yeah. Special effects artist uh, James Rowland talks about the giant bug in the film. (laughs) She says, well... We talked about this right when we got the movie, and we knew that we didn't have a big budget, but we also didn't have a plethora of effects or anything, so we wanted to do something a little different. When we filmed the giant bug for the dream sequence, we had to put that bug in the same area of the kitchen that they were shooting in, and there was just no room. So you got all these guys operating this giant mechanical bug. It was bigger than me. It was huge. That was the toughest part. (laughs) (laughs) So special effects artist Ted Haynes talks about the Grim Reaper. So we had the bug and then there was another gag with a Grim Reaper character. I built that with John Foster and then we took it to set and we actually wore that. There were two people inside. I was one arm in the head and then John Foster was the other arm. He had some cable controls in there to manip- to manipulate the face so we were that menacing creature. I like to imagine both of them just crammed into it <laughs> operating each arm. <laughs> So Ted also discusses the three little heads. There was another gag uh, where he has these little heads. So I did all the little mechanics to make these heads look around and poke through the flesh. And and the day that we shot that, we were at John Buechler's shop. So that was like a second or even third unit type thing where we brought their actor in. Uh, We had had a piece of the set behind him. We had this, this dummy head of him that could go through three different stages because it was three heads. So we have James Rowland talking about the last gag of the film. So there was one effect that was towards the end of the film. It was a confrontation uh, between Sam and Glock, and we weren't quite sure how to do it. So Sam grabs his hand, and and you're up like this, and you see all the veins, and we, we had to have a time where it went up Daniel Quinn's arm and then into Richard Lynch's. So we had to sell that. This is how he's getting inside him. He can't go through his head, so he's going to go through his hand. I wasn't sure if it was going to work due to the timing thing, but there were four of us pushing fluids, and we all had to work together. We couldn't get it to work, so then we were practicing in the shop. But we got in front of the camera. The first tape looked lovely, and I said, wrap, cut. Yep, that's it. We're done. So that was probably the scariest and most satisfying of them all. Fucking A, that would be pretty... uh stressful to say the least a little bit oh fuck yeah all four of them just trying to push all the fluids and everything through boys let's talk about it favorite performance of the film what can you say daniel quinn all the way fucking the rhinoceros over here i like that Yeah, I'd, yeah, I'd agree mean, with you. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's going to win. Uh, if anybody can make better poop faces, I'd love to <laughs> see it. This guy really sells the scanner thing 
Like, if there was anybody to do it, it's this fucking guy. And besides that, I think, like, the emotional dialogue that we have and his interactions with the, uh... Police commander? Harrigan? Or... His interactions with Richard Grove are extremely believable, and I think that that story arc is very well told because of their acting abilities. I think yeah. Daniel Quinn, For I wish sure. I would have seen him in more, but, uh, yeah, I don't think Spiders 2 is as loved as the first one. What do you mean? <laughs> <laughs> How dare <Yeah>. you? <laughs> uh... I will have to give uh, an honorable mention nod to Richard Lynch, though, as Glock. He probably would have been my pick if we got to see more of him. Terrifying. Um, yeah, exactly. Like, I really get what uh, Shepard meant in the interview when she said that he's just, it looks so intimidating. Like, he's a scary villain. And I had, like, it's probably because he got more freedom to do what he wanted to do, like Grove was saying. Put burn makeup on him. It's even creepier. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm going to have to. Agree with uh, TJ on this, Daniel Quinn. I think he's fantastic. Um, you know, he's definitely weird and confident, mainly awkward at times, but I think that's just him trying to deal with this balance of uh, childhood trauma, you know, from scanning people to yeah. trying to being a normal police officer. Um, you know, like he just actually works quite well in this film. Um, and I've got to hand it to um, Daniel. I mean, with those constipation faces and not shit yourself, man, that's a – that's a doozy. Like, I mean, that's a hard thing to pull off. You know, he definitely brings the intensity and especially with that scene of him reading Sarah's mind, that's like, that's like next level, yeah. like blow a blood vessel in your fucking head. Like that face. Oh my God. But yeah, I think Daniel Quinn was fantastic in this film and he's, I think he rocks a mullet in the sequel. So yeah, there better. we go. There we go. Fuck you. Favorite set piece. So I'd have to go with the parlor and or uh, the opening scene, the apartment is just fucking mad. Yeah, uh, that one's good. Reminds me of the apartment from Snake Eater. <laughs> yes, probably. Yes, it's it's, it's uh, putrid and fucking foul. I think the production design behind this, like you know, uh, the it's, it's very detailed. You know, throughout the majority of the scene, and looks very, very fucking good on, especially on that Vince in Blu-ray release. Makes it pop. Mm. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I mean, yeah, it, it definitely helps let the audience know that, you know, uh, where these characters fall into society, you know, they're, they're down on their luck, they're on the run sort of thing. It, re it really helps push that narrative forward, uh, especially with the father and son in this, yeah, shithole of the fucking place and yeah yeah definitely production design's quality yeah. there oh it's yeah. by parlor did you mean the like psychic shop like yeah. Zena's mind reading okay yeah yeah no that is really cool too don't um, they refer to it as the parlor i think so. maybe i, I felt I, like I whenever he's like where is he and she's like he's still at the parlor he was there the whole time oh yeah i think i think you're right i think they do refer to it as the parlor um i don't say it, it was either going to be that one for think the hospital just mm. just the chatting's worth uh exteriors were rad we the exteriors were great and both uh, both times we saw the interior back when it was in operation whenever he almost dropped sam there off like off there as a kid uh and in xena's head i will have to say uh from him. Yeah. i know you guys don't aren't able to watch the 4k discs but when you watch the 4k discs with the hdr on uh, the exteriors of any outside scenes during the daytime look fucking incredible. Ooh, like okay. this movie, yeah. like Jacques did a great, like did Jacques did a great job filming all the exteriors in this film. They look beautiful. They look like they could be art on their own. For someone who Fuck didn't yeah. know where to put the camera, apparently he did a great yeah. job. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
Fucking A. Favorite scene or shot? So, this is a hard one. It is. I do like the the ending scene, but there is just so much batshit crazy stuff that happens throughout. Whew. I'll let Brody pick first. Um, I'm going to have to go with the whole opening scene where Samuel's dad, um, you know, loses his mind and goes fucking loco towards those two cops. Um Definitely sets up the um, definitely sets up the whole entire movie, and and you definitely know you're in for a good time after watching this scene. Um, you know, you know, get from the special effects of the stunt work. This this whole entire scene is just shot beautifully, and um, it delivers with some fantastic visuals. Yeah. Fucking solid opening to a film, and you know, it, it definitely comes out of the. Yeah, pen really strong. Like I said, it, it like if you're like, holy fuck, this is what we're dealing with in the first five to ten minutes. Imagine what the rest of the film's going to be like, and it, it it only gets better from there. So I mean, you could have picked so many fucking scenes for this. I got I it. Just have to go with that. I got it. Oh. So I'd say after Diva talks, gets hit with the ambulance or or whatever the fuck hits her. And, <laughs> it's an ambulance, yeah. Uh, she falls down and she's like dying. And right as she's about to die, uh, Sam's like, before you die, I'm going to scan your ass. So he, like, gets in her, like, dying brain. And then, like, her conscious, like, floats up. And, like, that whole scene of her, him chasing her through the building and then meeting her in that room and then sending her to hell at the end. And then he's like, where is she? And he's like, last time I seen her, she was in hell. And I was just like, yeah! Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh it's so cool! <laughs> yeah, so so all that, I think, is just is fucking awesome. I was I was going to say the chase through the hospital. It, I mean, it's why I, it's part of why I picked it as the set piece, but the scene of the chase through that is great. I do kind of have to somewhat agree with Brody as well on that opening one. It, it is really fun uh, to know that one of the stunt like effects artists as well was that cop that got thrown through the wall. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I think he broke his knuckle. I think he says in the documentary he broke his knuckle doing that too. I'm surprised that's all he broke going through that wall like a fucking banshee. <laughs> yeah. Holy fuck. I, I, I kind of like the wall pulls in this movie better than Scanners 1. Oh, yeah. yeah. They definitely upped the ante they went, on it. They went all out. I mean, <laughs> the control room scene in Scanners 1 where, like, everything explodes and the dudes go back to the fucking glass windows. Like, that's crazy. Yeah. But there's yeah. just something about dudes going through multiple wooden walls. <laughs> there, that, and there's just something about that mugger. Just him <laughs> flipping that mugger 30 times through the parking <laughs> Got me so... I laughed so hard. It was incredible. It was Speaking amazing. of uh, skater cop physics, when, yeah. you, when you make a man explode a part of his head that also pushes the people around him, because whenever that, his head it pops, <laughs> that one nerve fucking flies across the room and slams oh, it on the wall. wall. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it was like an air burst came out. Yeah. <laughs> Here, a cannon here's, here's a question for you, Brody. Yes. Stam Stasiak versus Chop Top. Oh, who the fuck do you think's going to Ah, come here, you yeah. dog dick. Ah, get out of my head. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> like a rat to my motherfucking head. Ah. Fucking bang, motherfucker. <laughs> Sam's over here shitting his pants. <laughs> <laughs> do we have a favorite shot? I actually do have one shot I was watching. Um, So what they do is after that, uh, first scene with Samuel's dad and that. Um, Samuel was sitting, like the young Samuel, sitting on the staircase and the policeman is like standing. But it's the way they've got that camera shot. It's, it's set up with like a um, – how can I explain? It's like a, a little bit of a low Dutch tilt and it really makes yeah. – 
it, it puts the policeman sort of like a really staunch situation where he towers over the young boy, but he sort of portrays as a hero in that sense. Like, I'm going to take you home. I'm going to look after you type thing. I think that shot really beautiful. And the behind that, the, the lighting of the pillars that sh- like shadow the, how can I say it? Like it, it really gives it that gothic aesthetic of like these shadows around the wall, but the light that shines behind him is a bit like an awe. So I c- like obviously portrays the policeman as this hero figure. I thought that was a really nice shot. It stood out to me the most. And like even in the background of that too, because they're transporting his dad's body up the stairs behind him. Yeah. And it's mm. all still in frame during that too. It's almost like a Lynch thing. Remember how I ta- was talking to you the other day, how he keeps everything in frame? Like the mm. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's like a wide <laughs> shot. Yeah. No, I'm just thinking of that fucking French dude falling over in the goddamn field over and over what again. What the hell is that? that? <laughs> Why is that? <laughs> <laughs> that so I think uh, one of my favorite shots is the establishing shot of Chatsworth is how it's like a how it starts like at the top and then slowly. Oh, uh, yeah. What, what would you down. call it? Yeah, pans down. Mm-hmm. And they use it a couple times. And the, the one time they use it is whenever actually Sam shows up there and they pan down and as they're walking in it was just they used the same shot but added folks to it it was just mm-hmm. a unique and clever way to reuse that shot and or i don't know maybe it's just a style choice i don't yeah i think i'd have to go with the sort of almost dolly zoom out uh from sarah's face uh of her mm-hmm. crying after she's like realized that she's killed her husband mm-hmm uh whenever it's like panning back uh right before his partner comes in and the finds exterior them, that shot of that car driving down and parking is pretty decent too that was nice yeah. that was a good one and then it, it kind of does a solid take doesn't it it like tracks him yeah. out without breaking without a cut and we have to mention the 90s color palette it's very prevalent here oh yes and we love that very very good dark, <laughs> very blue yeah i love it the good times before the darkening <laughs> okay, favorite effect and or death. This movie's packed full of them. Ooh, what can we say, boys? I've got mine for sure. Nick, I've got mine. Take it away. Uh, all right. I'll say uh, if we're going for the effect, I am going to have to go with the three heads coming out of his head so during cool. the hallucination. It's so well done. Mm. They're all like they're all a little articulated on their own, like individually, which I guess is because they built the three different ones and then mm-hmm. composited the shot. But it looks like it looks so good for death. I'm going to have to go with Glock fucking his brain plate popping out and fucking exploding across the room and his brain like melting right in front of him. I do like that. The the, the whole melting thing. That's so fucking gnarly. Uh, yeah. Do you have to do the, the one shot that you see very briefly of his brain actually sticking out of his fucking head mm-hmm. when he gets shot? Yeah, that's gross. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it paralyzes him. It looks like he has some paralysis. He took a bullet to the head. He's walking and talking. I said fine. flat, not fat. <laughs> he is so mean to that composite sketch lady. God damn it, go faster. You can only go as fast as the thing. <laughs> what the fuck is, is Quinn's dialogue whenever she asks him to dinner? Oh, uh, he... What? He says, I've got a badge and a gun we can eat for free. Yeah. Or no, he just says, I have a gun. Yeah. That was. It. He doesn't say he has the badge. He's like, I got a gun. We can eat for free. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> Favorite effect. I do like the three head popping out thing. I think that's pretty rad. But I do like the giant bug. 
I think the giant bug's fucking mm. rad. I like the scene how she's like freaks the fuck out and just stabs the shit out of him because she thinks <laughs> her husband's a giant bug in the kitchen and then she just sits there <laughs> just tra- traumatized. I just think it's brutal. Uh, death. He said Glock. What's his name? Glock? Glock, yeah. yeah. Glock, yeah. That's Richard Lynch's character. Brutal. Brutal death. I, I, I keep saying it, but yeah, it's, it's too cool. Brody? Yeah, um, effect... I would have to agree with Nick with the little fucking faces poking out of your forehead. Um, but my favorite death is the whole head explosion scene um, of the Sheila. Zena, yeah, that's Zena. right. Yeah. So, you know, you got like that whole nightmare scene or whatever the fuck it is, is like awesome. And then you got a constipation face off, followed up <laughs> by seeing all of those veins balloon and swell and leak blood, you know, to the head explosion. It's a nice little callback to Cronenberg's fucking infamous scene. Um, it's, it's obviously very very graphic not as good as Cronenberg's but it's still still pleasing in a sense and it's, it's beautiful different. and that, that's yeah. a, that's an, yeah, it doesn't have as much skin flappy see they afterwards. used a lot more balloons and in the scanner cut movies it's more about the veins you know what i mean yeah exactly yeah. exactly and i um i think that's enough for me really like i was visually pleased watching yeah. it but it's that whole lead up it's so fucking good and in that doc in the doc as well uh they talk about doing that scene and i think that was he said that it was like some of the most fun they had shooting it because he was like we blew those heads the hell up <laughs> we just kept yeah. doing it just kept going and going and going <laughs> hell yeah just just without a shotgun yeah <laughs> yeah no shotgun firing squad <laughs> oh, <sound. laughs> man Thoughts on story. So I'll start this one off. I think that this Mm -hmm. movie is just a menagerie of all sorts of things that just comes together into this strange, cohesive thing that kind of works for me. I love how it starts off with telling you a kind of very traumatic story of the father-son relationship, and then that's quickly uh, wrapped up, and then that transitions into another very interesting, tense situation with adopting this kid and then on top of that this kid has special powers and now you you mentioned earlier it's almost like a superpower it's like a superhero thing at a certain point yeah and it's kind of treated like that but it's only treated like that from the father's perspective where all the other cops just see it as weird at first yeah so they kind of look down on him because he's like a weirdo. Like, how can you do that? Like, even that one cop's like, this is bullshit. And he's like, hey. Oh, Brown. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Mark Ralston's character, Lieutenant Brown. But yeah. I, I love the, the fact that it touches on mental health and it shows you that trauma plays a part in the story progression. And that's something that is super important to me, that if you're going to do it, you're going to do it right. And I think a lot of people just miss the point of this film and how that plays a factor into the overall story and how it, how it comes to an end at the end there with him. Does his dad, his dad's not dead, right? No, he, he makes it. He's fine. With him finally yep. catching Richard, you can kind of take it like he's finally coming full circle as both a scanner and a cop as he's finally found balance in both and catching the guy who took out his father. Oh yeah. And I definitely yep. like how they I, I think i said this the other day um if not yesterday uh i liked how they handled sam's character growing up with that because like there's been so many times where they'll have a character where they have some sort of power or something like that it manifests as a kid something traumatic happens they grow up they have absolutely no idea what it is it's the whole they had a trauma so they blocked it out type of thing but sam knows what happened sam remembers his dad he remembers all of it because he's a scanner they have like a photographic identity yep. memory like he can't forget that 
the same way that he can't like he can read other people's memories. He's literally so stuff. smart. He can look at a computer screen from the 90s and make it look so photogenic. It looks like Richard Lynch, not frankly. And he can do it without touching the keyboard, <laughs> just grabbing the monitor. And, oh, so. <laughs> God. Oh man. Okay. Any actual thoughts on story? Uh <laughs> yeah. I I think it's a great way to extend the scanners universe. Mm-hmm. Um, but it also they make it their own. Um, and it definitely works as its own film. But it's just great to see this creative team exploring more of these characters. Um, especially the direction and narrative. Uh, it's a super fun film from start to finish. You know, obviously interesting characters, and it, it's. It, it really deserves more attention than, uh, you know, upon like when it was released back in the day, it had fuck all love behind it. I honestly think it's awesome that they're exploring more of these characters because scanners are so unique in this world and they don't really touch base on everything. They just scratch the surface of it. So. You put them in so many unique situations and roll with it. Yeah, if, if I remember correctly, I was looking at the um, uh, some of the reviews and things from the time to just kind of see what people thought about it, and it just everyone was just like, "Why'd they make it a police procedural?" And everyone was just really mad about that. That was like my favorite part of it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I love the like the crime thrillers and stuff like that. I also like the uh, mm-hmm. like the films where they show you the crime at the beginning, like the, the how you catch them. Oh yeah, films like the Columbo type stuff. Love that stuff. Mm-hmm. So this stuff's totally on par like zodiac like uh fincher's zodiac yeah. oh my god i love that fucking good movie. shit good shit i think we all but, covered our thoughts on story yeah yeah, yeah. fuck i was gonna say something. oh what if uh scanner cop 3 was scanner cop versus maniac cop <laughs> that'd be cool yeah cop on cordell cop. versus stasiak <laughs> you know what that would be actually really fucking cool yeah meet the cop that can't be stopped like they they bring in Stasi- oh, they bring in Stasiak because there's a guy who dressed going around dressed as a cop killing people and they bring killing in, cops killing cops and he brings them in he's like what the fuck and then yeah we have we have uh, Leo Rossi brought back and he's like hey man he's like you you ain't gonna get past my <laughs> man Cordell and he's like yeah and then Stasiak uh, like may- blows his head up I was gonna say maybe maybe he like takes that green serum shit and he turns into a scanner so it's like like him against those two uh, super Cordell Sam? oh that'd be nuts no. No, not Cordell. Um, who was that little motherfucker? His sidekick you were just talking about, Leo Rossi's character. Yeah, yeah maybe he takes it like. <laughs> Fucking but um, imagine if like he tried to scan Cordell and it's just like darkness. See, like, that'd be interesting. What happens in if, his you, head. if you yeah. do it to someone like that? Yeah. yeah. It's just a, it's just a like internet or dialogue. Or if it fucks him up because no. it, it shows Cordell's <laughs> fucked up death. Yeah. He, he channels some fucking weird like voodooism that goes back into Sam or some shit. I don't know. Okay. So, impacted takeaways. <laughs> <laughs> My biggest takeaway is I wish they had just kept the scanner series going and just put them in just different like professions. <laughs> <laughs> scanner firefighter. Like scan- scanner pilot. Yeah, yeah. It's like Top Gun, but with scanners. Yeah. <laughs> they remake it. Remake Top Gun entirely. They get Tom Cruise again. They get Tom Scarrett as Goose. He comes back. He survived somehow. Uh, Goose sir, is a scanner I'm out now. of ammo. That's okay. I'll take him out other ways. And <laughs> <laughs> the plane he makes another plane go down. <laughs> sir, if you scan at 30,000 feet, you'll pass out. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> Stop. No. Goose ejects himself, smacks his head again, and then he can't scan. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> oh fucking a! Oh man, I I honestly think that this should be made into a fucking TV series. Yes, yeah, without a doubt. 
100 um, i would watch that like i was saying there's only like there is so much you can do with samuel's character especially you know being a highly respected policeman in uh, society you know ideas are flowing endlessly with this one and i definitely think it needs to happen bring back pierre david and cronenberg as producers to give that audience a buddy cop infused gore fest i think i think it would work other than the characters, Cronenberg didn't really have a direct hand in this movie, did he? Nope. Could you imagine what it would be like if he did? You know exactly what he was doing at this time. Yeah, he was he was making a movie about sexy car accidents. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, they did come out the same year, didn't they? Uh, was it 93 or 94 that Crash came out? No, 96. Oh, 96. Uh, I think he's right. Yeah, yeah, you are right. What year is Videodrome, 94? No, that's like 83. Uh, I thought, yeah, uh, I think Videodrome is 1980. I think it was 83. It is. Okay. What was he? <laughs> I know he did a movie in 1980, didn't he? Did he? I don't know. Did he? It's called Scanners, isn't it? Scanners in 81. Oh, no. Nope. Uh, the Brood and Fast Company both came out in 79, then Scanners was uh, 81. He was doing M. Butterfly at this time. Oh, yeah. Romance film. Okay, any more impact and takeaways? <laughs> Um, I've said mine. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I pretty much said mine. It's hard to tell what kind of impact this would have had. Like, it is. I don't think it it's really kind of been lost for a while. Like yeah. I said, I haven't really heard much about it since the video days, and it's just really been lost to time, and it sucks that for so long I really wanted to see this movie. I kind of forgot what it was at first, but uh, yeah, it's it's cool that we have it from Vinegar Syndrome now, and we're able to appreciate it mm-hmm. and watch it for, even from a, through a modern lens. I think we can appreciate it better now for what it is and you know the things that it was looked down upon then we look at it in a better light now and we can appreciate it for what it truly is and it is a very good attempt at combining a police procedural with a Cronenberg story and I absolutely think that it pulls everything off that it sets out to achieve I think Pierre David should have done a lot more films and it sucks that he didn't but that's the way it is sometimes I wish we could have got Scanner Cop 3 but again what how much further could you Yes, in another universe it exists, but how much further can you push the story? And maybe it's nice just having these two little nuggets of awesomeness. And they just stand out because they're absurd, they're emotional, and they're fun. They're just great films. No, fuck that. We need more. We need more. I'm with Brody. (laughs) I'm telling you, man, Scanner Firefighter. (laughs) Do it. (laughs) If they were going to do it, they would have to be... uh, it's in the future. These are the last of the scanners. There's people hunting down the like the last five of them or so. And then these are the last couple. And Sam comes back and we see the, we see a couple people from the actual scanners. They all team up and then they're like, we're the last of a dying breed. So we can look at it that way. That maybe one would Sam, be fun. Even like maybe, in the opposite direction. Sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> take a Logan no, approach like, to may, it. Maybe Sam finds a fucking baby in this crack den and he raises it as his own, but it turns out it's got like scanners, like powers and shit. See, I would think about so, that, but like they, when Scanner Cop at the beginning, they like kind of acknowledge that it happened and this entire generation of babies could potentially have it. But it's not a problem anymore mm. because they addressed it because they're well yeah, aware of what the problem was. Yeah, I, I was about to say that. Like, could you imagine someone trying to build up an army of scammers? Like, I think that would be better. Ephemeral. Yeah, that's an X Files episode. Creates them. Yeah, <laughs> I know. I, I know, but like, damn, dude, as a full movie, come on, that would be so cool. <laughs> <laughs> Chris Carter, that's uh, Nick beckoning your return. Please. <laughs> <laughs> okay, boys. Rating uh, this week's out of control. Tell connect cup out of five brody mm, i'll give it a 3.7 mm. okay nick i loved this movie i'm giving it a 4.6 fuck i'm going to give it a 4.2 and that is an lce score of 
4.2 out of 5 for 1994 Scanner Cop from director Pierre David. Sounds good to me. Fuck, that was fun. That was a great season, boys. It sucks that it's over. We had 10 fine episodes. <sighs> that we did. Multiple episodes hit the uh, charts across the world, and we thank you so much for that. We thank all the filmmakers that we worked with this season on episodes. You truly made those special for us, and yeah boys yeah no thank you very much to our listeners um we appreciate you obviously listening to us um we love doing this for you as much as we love doing it for ourselves um should we give them a little taste like we do at the end of each season of like i would but i'm gonna take this opportunity to announce a very special christmas episode Mm -hmm. featuring ryan from Beetle Bros, one of Nick's cohorts on that show. My we buddy. will be returning Christmas Day. Uh, an episode will be dropping where myself, the DKB, Nick, and Ryan recommend you a exploitative Christmas film to watch over the holidays. Yeah, I thought that would be a fun little thing there is where we all recommend a little film mm-hmm. there. And to listeners out there, something a little themed for the occasion. Uh, that, Like I said, that'll be dropping on Christmas Day. Nick, anything you want to say about this nice. season? Um, absolutely. Yeah. Thank you to everybody who listened this season. Uh, if you just joined, welcome. Uh, if you've been listening since the beginning, that's amazing. Thank you. Uh, we hope you enjoyed it. Uh, hope you're going to enjoy next season. We got some really, really, really good ones, uh, that we're going to tackle. And your hints for season four are nightmares, Bigfoot, and more exploding heads. See you next season, boys, and all you listeners out there. Bye-bye. It's your DKB saying, I'll see you motherfuckers next season. It's been a ride. Thank you kindly, and I'll catch you then. Ta-ta. Slick Nick saying, thank you, you lovely, lovely people for listening. Can't wait to see you all next season. Goodbye.